This morning we take up one of the most, without doubt, you could say most confusing passages you're, you're going to find in the Gospels. Even maybe if you're unfamiliar with the passage, even as I read it there, you are thinking, wow, what does Jesus mean here? How can this be true? It's a passage that's been misinterpreted. It's been uh, misapplied in countless ways throughout the centuries and still to this day. It's a passage that has led to um, heresies of the church, um, the formation of different sects. It, it is without a doubt um, a, one of the most controversial passages you'll find in the Gospels. And I'm going to try my best in just a little bit of time I have, which isn't enough clearly, but I'll do my best to explain what I believe is being said here, but I'm not going to remove the scandal of the text, okay? Um, this is saying what it's saying. Jesus is saying what Jesus intended to say here, and it's this. Jesus is promising that believers will not just do the works that he did, but that believers will do greater work than he did. And that's saying something. My boys have this thing they love to do. My sons have this thing they love to do where they uh, like to imagine scenarios that would require superhuman strength. Um, this is actually a very natural part of boyhood, uh, really childhood, but especially boyhood, um, to daydream about impossible feats, uh, strengths that uh, nobody could have, but to dream about us being able to do these things. It's actually, it, what's going on is it's resonating with kind of the, uh, the noble strength that they sense inside themselves and is being developed and, and all those things. Um, so they'll say things like this. These, these are some I've got. Uh, Daddy, what if I could lift this house? Daddy, what if I could dunk, this came up the other day during the tournament, what if I could dunk a 100-foot goal? Daddy, we did, we did a push-up challenge um, last month in our house. Um, I lost. And, and uh, during that, I said, Dad, what if I could do a million push-ups? And they love to dream about this limitless power and strength, but then they always say the same thing because I think what's going on in their little image-bearing souls is they love to, they got this thing developing, but they also have a sense of their limitations, and they always ask the same question, but that's impossible, right, Dad? And I say, yes, yes. Um, but, because they're preacher kids, there's always a new caveat, but not for Jesus. And I say, yes, Jesus, Jesus could uh, dunk a hundred foot goal. Yes, Jesus could do that. And he could. Um, he didn't do things like that when he was here on earth. Um, and we'll actually discuss why that is in a moment, but he could. I think a million push-ups falls within the doctrine of God's omnipotence. He could pull it off. But here is the sovereign, omnipotent one telling you and telling me this morning that we can do, in fact, that's not enough, we will do greater works than even he did. What are we supposed to make of that? What are we supposed to do with that? Well, let's do our best to find out. There are two questions in this passage that I want to answer, and I think by answering these, it will not only help us understand what Jesus is talking about here, but it'll help us appreciate it and apply it to our lives. Here are the two questions I want to answer. How are our good works greater? 
How are our works greater? And what are our greater works? So how is this possible? And what are these works he has in mind? Okay? How are our works greater? Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. Recall from last week that Jesus says, believe in me on account of my works. We talked a lot about that. He says, look at what I've done. Look at my miracles. Look at my ministry. Look at my life. And believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And we talked about what that meant last week. But then this week, he does something remarkable with that. He says, and whoever believes in me will also do those works. So look at my works and believe. Oh, and by the way, if you do believe, you're going to do those works too. And then he just gets, I guess you could say, ridiculous. Not just will you do my works, greater works than these will you do. What is he talking about? Let's first say what he is not talking about, okay? It can't be that Jesus has his miraculous works in mind. Actually, he does have them in mind for himself. Look at my works. That's what he said last week. We talked about it. But when he's talking about us, it cannot be that. If so, then Jesus was either deceived or lying because it simply isn't true. It's just not. Certainly, there was a miraculous power to the apostolic ministry. No doubt about that. There is a unique um, apostolic power, but nothing like Jesus. Nothing like he did. And certainly not greater than he did. And besides, Jesus isn't explicitly talking about the apostles here. He says, whoever believes in me. That's not just the apostles. That's me, people. That's you. I believe in Jesus, and I am not doing miracles like Jesus. Certainly not greater miracles than Jesus did. And by the way, those who would claim this text, and many do, um, those who would claim this text... As a promise in their ministry, you will notice that their supposed miracles never seem to be like Christ's and definitely are not greater than Christ's. That's the problem. There's a difference between someone um, coming up on a faith healer's stage and shedding a walker and taking a few cautious steps and a paraplegic, paralyzed from the neck down, rising, taking up his mat and walking home. All of Christ's miracles were intentionally from one extreme to the other and never anything less. Totally helpless to totally restored. Blind, sight. Deaf, hearing. Leprosy, clean. Death, life. Those miracles are not taking place anymore and there's a reason why and when we understand that reason why this verse will start to make sense and actually become very very relevant for our lives if it can't be that we will do greater miracles than Jesus then what is Jesus saying well as we should come to expect from our savior this is what he does He doesn't view things the way we do. He just doesn't. We are impressed by miracles. But Jesus is impressed by what miracles point toward. We think miracles are great. Jesus thinks what the miracles signify and sign is greater. What is with the miracles of Jesus anyway? 
Have you ever wondered that? What's with the, the miracle ministry of Jesus? What purpose did they serve within the ministry of Jesus? Well, again, consider the nature of His miraculous works. If they were just intended to prove that He was God, then He could have chosen to do the lift the house or fly around or whatever cool superhero move He wanted to do to show, look at me, I'm God. If they were just intended to help the struggling, then He would have done a lot more of them to a lot different people, struggling people, not just the totally helpless, but most of us who were just struggling whatever way and everywhere He went, all the people it all would have been taken care of. That's not what he's doing. So we say this, while his miraculous works did prove his identity and did help the hurting, there is more going on with them. Again, consider the nature of his miracles. What they are, are vivid portrayals of what he has come to do. If you want to behold... The intentions of Jesus, not just for you individually, but for the cosmos, for all of creation. If you want to behold what He has come to do, then look upon His miracles. They are glimpses. They are inbreaking of the eschaton. They are a demonstration and a display of why I am here. And when you see these encounters, just pick any of them this afternoon and look at what he does with any helpless person and say, that's what he's done to me and that's what he's going to do to the cosmos. Complete salvation, total redemption, full restoration from utterly helpless ruin to all things new. And so in this way... His miraculous works tell of His greater purposes. They, they signal the dawn of a superior age that is upon us, an age that is inaugurated not just with the coming of Jesus, but specifically with the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so, here's how it works, okay? Jesus comes, and in His public ministry, everything He says and does, His teachings... And his miracles, they all serve as a signpost of his greater work. All of them are pointing to why he has really come, his cross, resurrection. And then after the ascension, the effects and impact of cross and resurrection go forth in this final age of redemption until the work of the cross and resurrection is felt throughout all creation. Notice how Jesus himself explains the reason that our works are greater than his. He says, and greater works than this will he do because, so he's about to tell you why, because I am going to the Father. Now, how is it that Jesus going to the Father makes our works greater? Because his going to the Father initiates the new and final age of redemption where the work of the cross and resurrection go forth until Jesus comes back. And how does that work go forth? How does the world experience the effect of the cross and resurrection through you? Through me. Through countless followers of Jesus and every tongue, tribe, and nation throughout all the generations 
who are doing greater work than the miracles of Jesus because they actually bring to bear what the miracles only signed. The miracles were not as impressive as we make them out to be. They were just signals of what is to come. The redemption of Jesus offered through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We are impressed by the miracles. But Jesus is impressed by what the miracles point to. They are but a foretaste of a far greater work. Not just this individual redemption of an afflicted person that would again be afflicted. Right? Lazarus, he raises Lazarus from the dead, and that, that is a sign of what he intends to do to us and to all of creation. But Lazarus had to die again. It was not the fullness. He got sick and he died again. So this is but a foretaste of a greater work, not the redemption of an afflicted person that Jesus encountered, but literally the cosmic redemption of everything. And so listen, from the perspective of Jesus, we are doing the greater work as we speak. We are doing greater work than he did in his miracle ministry as we speak. Or are we? You see, it's not just any and all works that we do are greater. Jesus has specific work in mind. Not everything we do is greater than what Jesus did. So what is it that we do that is greater than what Jesus did? What are these greater works? We've answered the question of how our works are greater. What did Jesus mean by that? Now let's look at what are our greater works. Now let me state this first, okay? This is important to the text. Part of the problem with taking a break for, uh, for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter is that our passage is going to be disconnected from where Jesus is really going with this, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, the greater work we do are the works of the Holy Spirit in and through us, and in this way, our greater works are actually not even our works. They're Jesus' works, His Spirit in us, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. The first answer for us this morning, the first answer that Jesus gives to the question of what is this greater work that we will do than Jesus did is one specific work, prayer. We are impressed by miracles and bored by prayer. Jesus flips that. Jesus views our prayers as far greater than his miracles. But we need to define prayer here because it's not just any type of prayer. Verse 13 Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then for clarity and emphasis, he repeats himself explicitly as possible, saying exactly what it looks like he's saying. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These verses are misinterpreted and misapplied just as much as the previous verse. So let's pause for a moment. And try to understand this. The key to understanding what Jesus is saying here and the reason why he repeats it twice in these verses is the in my name phrase. Whatever you ask in my name. If you ask anything in my name. Now what does that mean? It is far more than just adding in the name of Jesus at the end of your prayer. 
It is far more than what some people try to do, which is to turn it into a name it and claim it thing where I can just say, in the name of Jesus, do that. There is something so rich behind this in the name of Jesus, and we need to understand it. The significance of a name has been lost in our day. But in Scripture, and still in more traditional cultures, a name represents a person's identity, significance, greatness, heritage, even worth in an unhealthy way, which is why God is very interested in His name. Have you noticed that? How obsessed God is with His name? For example, during the conflict with uh, Pharaoh and Egypt, God says that His ultimate motivation for the Exodus was to get a name for Himself. In fact, he went, as far as saying to, he went as far as saying about Pharaoh, I raised Pharaoh up in the entire Egyptian empire so that I could defeat them and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. But what's also interesting about the whole Exodus account is that we learn God has no name. That's what's so fascinating. He's doing it all for his namesake and yet he has no name. Moses says... He says to Moses, go, go tell my people that I've heard their cry. I'm going to deliver them. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses said, okay, um, who should I say sent me? And he says, oh, I am. I am who I am. I have no name. You, Moses, certainly have no right to name me. I am just the supreme existence. I am just supreme. I just am the existence behind and over all things. Now, throughout the story of Israel, there are names that they use to describe God, but they are all generic titles, much like our word God is just a generic title for a supreme deity. God has no name, and yet God is obsessed with his name, being great through all the world. Now, fast forward to the incarnation, the birth of God. What are we going to name this child? The fullness of God in flesh? We can't call him I am. What will we name God incarnate? The angel says to Joseph, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Which means deliverer. Redeemer. God now has a name, and his name is Jesus. A name that is now above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue is going to confess that the name of God is Jesus and that confession will be to the glory of God the Father who does all things for His great name as it is revealed in His Son Jesus. It's all for His name's sake. Okay. With that in mind, return to the promise and see if it makes a little bit more sense. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He's given the name that's above every name to the glory of God the Father, it says. That the Father might be glorified the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It is not whatever you ask, 
this I will do. If you ask anything, I will do it. It is whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Whatever we ask that aligns with the name of Jesus, the purposes of God for His great name, Jesus, which would therefore glorify the Father, whatever we ask that aligns in the name of Jesus will be done. And so no, this is not a genie in the bottle promise from Jesus. Whatever you ask, and then just tack on in the name of Jesus at the end, I'm going to do it for you. That's actually the opposite of the passage. You know what that is? That's not prayer in the name of Jesus. That's prayer in my name. My purposes, my wants, my desires, my wishes, ultimately my glory. And prayer in Robert's name does not work. It goes unanswered. But prayer in Jesus' name, His purposes, His wants... His desires, ultimately His glory, prayer in the name of Jesus works, and I'm going to say this, and I mean it, every single time, without fail. Thus saith the Lord in our passage. People, that is no small thing. You want to talk about greater work. He has given us the honor, the privilege, the joy the calling, the nobility, the significance to actually participate in the purposes of God. To be the ones on the front lines, calling back, radioing back to heaven the needs and strategies and even the commands. Yes, he likes that. Even the commands. And heaven actually listens to your cries and considers your requests. And if they line up with his global purposes for his namesake, God does it every time. You get to direct the strategy of God on earth. Listen, this promise is real. It is. Just because I'm saying it has to align with the name of Jesus does not mean that prayer is therefore meaningless. We cannot do the reform, chalk it up to the sovereignty of God thing here. This prayer, this this promise is real. I don't know how the sovereignty of God fits with this promise, but I know that both of them are true. They somehow fit together. I believe that God hears our prayers and says, you know what? That's fitting my name. That aligns with my purposes. Good idea. I'm doing it. I believe that. I believe God works in this world in ways he would not if we did not pray for it. I believe that. And I'm a Calvinist. I believe, I'll take it further, I believe our prayers are the primary way God determines what He's doing in this world. Now, the non-negotiable is that His name will be proclaimed in everything He does. Every single thing He does is for His glory. That's non-negotiable. But how He does it, how He gets a name for Himself, I truly believe is determined by the prayers of His people. Is that not amazing? You want to talk about greater work. It's tempting to let this, let the meaning of this passage only explain why prayer doesn't seem to work. It's tempting to just let the passage do that. For you to say, oh, that's why so many of my prayers go unanswered. Because it has to be in Jesus' name. And clearly, so much of what I'm praying isn't aligned with Jesus' name. So, okay, now I understand why prayer doesn't seem to work like I feel like it should work. 
But that's not the meaning of the text. If you need that assurance, that's fine. That's a secondary application. But the true meaning is inviting us to see the glory that prayer works. To to look around and see that everything that glorifies Jesus is an answer to prayer and somehow. I know, for instance, give me an example. I know from this passage that every single person here who is a Christian was prayed for by someone. And your conversion is because someone prayed for you and God answered that prayer. I know that. I know that every single person here is better than, than they deserve because of prayer. We fixate on why God doesn't answer certain prayers while failing to acknowledge the endless ways He is always answering prayer that we never see until heaven. That literally His action in the world is the manifestation of the prayer of His people. Every week I pray over you. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Brothers and sisters, he answers that prayer every single time I ask that prayer. Every time. No good reason to be at church. Get that prayer answered. You may not think he answers that prayer. You may not see how he answers that prayer, but I can tell you how you would know it if he didn't answer that prayer. You think you've got problems. You have no idea what it could be. You have no idea how much you are being spared, how much he is blessing you and keeping you because God is answering that prayer and so many other prayers. But I tell you how you would know how much he is answering prayer is if he didn't answer prayer, we would come undone. Even though we fail to recognize the answers, every Prayer in Jesus' name is answered according to the counsel of his will for his own namesake. And that, my friends, is greater work in this world than even the miracles of Jesus when he was in this world. Which is the point of the passage, which is the upside-down logic of Jesus and why this passage is so beautiful. Or is it so beautiful? Let me, ask, let me ask you an application question that was so convicting for me this week, okay? This is coming out of, this is coming out of the way um, I, 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 I was convicted by the passage. Now that we have thoroughly unpacked the meaning of this confusing passage, are you disappointed by its true meaning? In other words... Jesus is not promising you that you get to do miracles greater than him. Jesus is telling us that the quiet, mundane life of prayer is greater than performing miracles. Are you like, I'm one of the miracles. Prayer's boring. It's tough. It's difficult. I want the experience. Jesus is not promising to you to be your genie in the bottle, doing whatever you ask of him. That's not what this is. That's not the meaning of the passage. Instead, Jesus is promising that he will answer prayers that fit with what he wants to do, not what you want to do. Want to do. Are you like, ah, oh, but I wanted the Jesus genie. I wanted him to do what I wanted to do. And now you're telling me the meaning of the passage is that it's all about him? What's convicting about this passage is that we are disappointed by the true meaning of the passage. 
We don't want it to say what it's saying. And this is reflected in our prayers. I'll prove it to you. Here's the diagnostic test for you. Ready? If God answered all your prayers, what would happen? Would the lost be saved? Would injustice be overturned? Would the nations be reached? Would our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world be comforted? Would the oppressed be liberated? Would the hurting be healed? Would the widows and orphans be cared for? Would divisions be reconciled? Would your enemies be blessed? Would the bluegrass be better? Or would your life just get easier? Or would just the cares and concerns of your circumstances be taken care of? This passage is only going to make sense and more importantly, will only become precious if the purposes of Jesus become as important to us as they are to Jesus. And do you know when that happens? When you see yourself within the purposes of Jesus. When you see yourself for what you are, a miracle of God greater than Lazarus walking out of his own tomb. When you see how great His work is in you, you will begin to see how great His work truly is and it will become your obsession. Your problem with not seeing prayer and God moving in this world for His purposes throughout the generations as something extraordinary as the miracles, the problem there is because you don't think you're that extraordinary and your salvation is that big of a deal and you've gotten bored with the gospel and numb to the salvation when you start seeing that as truly greater than any miracle of the New Testament, then you will start to see how great our work truly is and it will become your obsession. I thought of, Mark mentioned, the Brashear family. We lost Daryl this week. And um, I thought about them a lot this week, pray for them this week, not only um, obviously praying for them and the comfort, but because Teresa... um, uh, you were you one of the people I thought of when I think about this passage. Uh, just the, 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 the way Jesus says, greater work than my miracles is a saint of the Lord who prays, who disciples the next generation, who faithfully serves me. That's greater than my work. But I... Um, I must say that you know Teresa, many of you know Teresa, most of you know Teresa. She's a dear saint of the Lord, and she has been worshiping in this church by herself for many, many years now uh, because Daryl did not share um, her same faith convictions. Um, And he's one of the greatest guys you have ever known. Uh, Many of you did know him. Um, He rescued me when I fumbled through trying to do Boy Scouts with my son. I'm the worst Boy Scout dad ever. And uh, Daryl saved me and taught me how to do the car thing and all that. He's an amazing man. And uh, many loved him. Good man. But just was not there with his wife. And I was talking to Mark earlier. I think, and those of you who have been around long, I think he's probably the most prayed for man in this church. I think when you think about the history of our church, I think he has probably been prayed for more than any person. 
in the name of Jesus. And uh, a few days before his death, those prayers were answered. And, uh, and Daryl gave his life to Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I will do it. I know this, I talk like that and it brings up, what about my situation? What about this? Just let God be God. In the name of Jesus, he did it. And I get to tell my boys, that is greater than Jesus lifting a house. And what's more, he did it because we prayed for him to do it. What Jesus is doing all around us is far greater than any miracle he performed while he was among us. And greater still is that he is using our prayers to do his greater work. Go pray for more of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we celebrate your work now as we come to your table. And we praise you that you, O God, heard the cries of your people and came and rescued us. We praise you that you hear our prayers. We we are sorry that our prayers, Lord, that our prayers are so often in our own name for our own purposes and our own wants and our own wishes But Lord, we praise you even more that in your name, prayer is perfect. So I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that this table would give us a sense of your presence and assurance of your gospel and a deep, deep love for the Savior that would motivate us by the miracle that we are at this table, that we would pray, O God, that others would join. We thank you, O Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen.